This morning I want to talk about a house of prayer. When Jesus entered Jerusalem the week of the crucifixion, Jerusalem was just really stretched to its max. Uh, people from all over the region uh, visiting Jerusalem, they were there to celebrate the Passover. And when Jesus arrives at the temple courts, it was just it was bustling with people. And in the midst of all that busyness, Jesus sees something that, that really causes him to be indignant. It's in Mark chapter 11, verse 15. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone who, to carry wares, which is merchandise, uh, through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. So did Jesus have a problem with doves being offered as a sacrifice? The answer is no. He didn't have a problem with doves being given as a sacrifice. We may not think of sacrifices in the terms of doves, but often doves were used by the poor. If the poor couldn't afford a lamb or they didn't have a lamb, uh, a substitute was, was available and a dove was sufficient. It was in the law. They could do that. Uh, secondly, if you were uh, going through a purification ritual, part of your repentance, uh, you might offer a dove as well. So Jesus didn't have a problem with doves being offered as a sacrifice. So did Jesus have an issue with the merchants selling those doves to the worshipers? And if you don't have a dove, then you have to buy one. So really there's no issue with the, the selling of doves to worshipers. Did Jesus have a problem or an issue with, those, with the money changers? And, you know, you have worshipers throughout the region. They're traveling to Jerusalem. The currency in those areas can be different. And so having an exchange method or having money changers there was reasonable. So it, it was reasonable under those circumstances. Jesus didn't have any problem with people conducting business. The issue that Jesus has is where they're conducting that business. So he didn't have any issue with the business being conducted. It's where that business was being conducted. Jesus had an issue with this. Business was taking place in the temple, but prayer was not taking place. That's why he said, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The temple courts may have seemed like the, really the most logical place to set up a, a place where you could buy doves and, and exchange money because the temple courts were adjacent uh, to the temple. And if you've ever seen a model or a mock-up of the, the temple mount, the, the, the courts were huge. Thousands of people could fit into the temple courts. So it made sense. It was logical then to set up the bazaar right there uh, where you could trade. But the temple courts was not the place to conduct business. It was a place to pray. So get this picture in your mind. Jesus is God in the flesh. The temple is the place where worshipers would come to meet with God. When Jesus enters the temple courts, it's God in the flesh. He's among his people. He walks into the temple courts, and I'm sure he's expecting to hear and see something different. I mean, this, I believe this would be his expectation. We see it recorded in Psalms 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. And we are his people the sheep of his pasture. Verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving 
and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. That was the expectation that he had worshipers worshiping and praising. But when Jesus enters into the temple courts, he doesn't hear the sound of praise. He doesn't hear worshipers bringing a sacrifice of praise. He doesn't hear the sound of prayer. Instead, what he hears is, is people, worshipers, haggling over the prices of doves with the vendors. Jesus saw worshipers neglecting the, name, the main purpose of the temple. And the main purpose of the temple is prayer. The temple officials and the worshipers thought it was a good idea. A good idea to set up uh, these, these places where you could purchase these, these doves in the temple courts. Again, it was convenient to the worshiper. The worshiper didn't have to go into the marketplace, buy a dove, and then come all the way back to the temple and then begin to you know, give it to the priest or however you want to do it and sacrifice. I mean, it was a practical solution, making that process easy for the worshiper. You know, this happens in church today. You know, it's all about convenience. We attend church and do a church thing, but we can leave this place without fulfilling our purpose. There's nothing wrong with fellowship. There's nothing wrong with hearing God's word. There's nothing wrong with singing and expressing our worship. We should do these things. However, if we neglect prayer, we've neglected our purpose. Jesus said that his house should be called a house of prayer. And while he's referring to the temple, that statement applies to the church today. Here's the question we should ask ourselves. Is this a house, is this a house of prayer, or have we made it a den of thieves? Now, I know that's a strong question to ask, but it's one we should consider. Have we made this a house of prayer, or is it a den of thieves? You know, prior to Christ, the temple is the place where the worshiper would meet with God, with the presence of God, where they could experience the presence of God. And that's, that's illustrated in Exodus 25, 8, with the beginning of the tabernacle. And this is what it says, And let them, this is God speaking to Moses, And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them. Now when Moses <clears throat> led the people away from Egypt, God instructs Moses to build a tabernacle. The tabernacle is nothing more than a portable church or a portable temple. You know, they also called it the tent of meeting. So it's the place where God would meet with Moses. God would meet with his people. So it was easy to move, it was easy to set up, and it was easy to tear down. As Israel traveled through the desert, God dwelled among his people. You'll recall the story, God led his people through the desert uh, by, by day, by a cloud, and then by night, by a pillar of fire. Whenever the pillar or the cloud would stop, Israel would stop there and make camp. What was the process? Would they start putting up their tents? No, they put up the tabernacle first. The tabernacle went in the middle and then Israel camped around, the tribes all around it. Why? Because God wanted to be in the midst of his people. That's the lesson we need to see from the Old Testament, that God wanted to be right in the midst of his people. You can see Christ in that, by the way. If you're looking for Christ in the Old Testament, the tabernacle is Christ in the Old Testament, or one of the examples. So God would dwell in the midst of his people. Later, when Israel occupies the promised land, King Solomon builds a temple for the presence of God. Now, I know when we say that, we understand that God is omnipresent. He's always been omnipresent. He's everywhere. While God is everywhere, at the same point, the Holy Spirit did not dwell in mankind at that point. He, he couldn't because only Christ, the blood of Christ, allows that to take place. Only when we're born again. So since Jesus had not yet come, given his life, we couldn't receive the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus was crucified, you remember the story 
As he's on the cross, he gives up his spirit. And at that same time, simultaneously, it says that the, the curtain in the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. And if you know anything about that curtain, it's a very thick curtain. It, I mean, it would take the hands of God to do that from top to bottom. I mean, just imagine that. And that, that place that was separated by a curtain from the Holy of Holies to the holy place was torn from top to bottom. It was opened up. You know, in that, the Holy of Holies is where the high priest would go in to offer sacrifices. He would take the blood of a perfect sacrifice, and he would dribble that blood on the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. So when Jesus says, it is finished, and gave up his spirit, the presence of God no longer dwelt in that temple made by man. The presence of God dwells in those who are born again. See, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, Do you not know that you are a temple of God? Every one of us said, if you're born again, you are a temple of God. And the Spirit of God dwells in you. If you're born again, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. With that said, we can't under... Because a lot of people will hear that and they'll say, well, that's why I don't need to go to church. You are completely wrong when you say that. Completely wrong. Because there is a greater importance when we gather together as God's people. Ephesians uh, chapter 2, 19 makes it very clear. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. And with, with the saints and members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in him in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. While you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us individually, yes, but he also dwells in us collectively. God dwells in the praises of his people. God communes or God fellowships in the company of his people, the assembly of his people. So the assembly of born-again believers must also be a house of prayer. Can we, attend, we can attend church and participate in its functions for good reasons, practical reasons, worshipful reasons, but if we aren't engaging in prayer Aren't we violating our most important calling? Let's face it, church. The prayer meeting used to be the focal point of the older church, of the early church. I mean, even just a couple centuries or a couple of uh, decades ago, still the church meeting, the, 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 on the calendar, this is when the church is going to meet together to pray. It was the focal point of the church. It was, it was what the church was all about. But today, the prayer meeting is non-existent. It's old-fashioned. It's archaic. We all have excuses. We're all busy. But see, that's the problem. We're all too busy to pray. We're too busy to pray. Prayer is not a priority. But the church was established on prayer. Currently, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. What is he doing there? He's interceding on our behalf. He's praying for us. After Jesus ascended into heaven, he ordered his disciples to return to Jerusalem and wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What did they do when they go back to Jerusalem? Do they go there and have church? No. What did they do? They pray. Acts 1.14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Again, the disciples didn't go back just to having church. They started to pray. And we know this, they prayed for 10 days. At a 10-day prayer meeting, 
They, they meet in the upper room. They're waiting for God to send his presence. You know, today, if we, if we pray 10 minutes, we might be lucky. 10 days, I mean, I don't have that much time. God, you've got to come through quicker than that. I'm busy. If we read through the book of Acts, you will see the connection between prayer and the miraculous. There's a definite connection, a consistent connection between the two. If we want the power of God to return to our church, if we want the power of God to return to our lives, then we need to pray with fervent consistency. Holt Assembly of God, are we a house of prayer or have we become a den of thieves? It's a heavy question to consider, but it's one that must be answered. Are we neglecting prayer individually? Are we neglecting prayer corporately? In the minds of the temple officials, the merchants, the worshipers, everyone involved thought they were doing something reasonable. It was practical. It, we were, they're facilitating worship. They're making worship easier. We're putting the doves right here next to the temple. This is a great idea. You know, people don't have to go scattered all across the, the city to get doves and come back. It's just a big hassle. We're just going to make it convenient. Again, this is what we do in church. What's convenient for us? What's practical for us? I mean, we got to have church, we got to have worship, we got to have preaching, but, you know, prayer, maybe we can, maybe we can just put that aside. You, you all just pray at home. This happens all the time. And you want, we don't see how our good ideas don't align with God's ideas. To, these, to those involved in this process of selling doves at the temple, no one felt this was a violation of, of God's word or violating anything worthy of con- condemnation. And that's why, because our ways aren't his ways. Our ways aren't God's ways. And if we aren't in the right place spiritually, and we do things our ways, you know, we can actually oppose what God wants to accomplish in our lives. Jesus said the temple was supposed to be a house of prayer. But the temple officials, the money changers, the worshipers who were were buying the sacrifices had made it a den of thieves. Why? Because of prayerlessness. In that place, there should have been the sound of prayer, but instead there was the sound of business. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD, about 35, 38 years after Jesus rose from the dead and was ascended into heaven. The the Roman armies destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD in the first Jewish revolt. Now today, if you go to Jerusalem, there's no part of that temple exists. None. The, The part that we think of isn't part of the temple. It's actually the supporting wall for the temple courts. If you've ever seen a, a picture of uh, Jerusalem and where the Jews pray and where the Muslims pray, it's actually a, nothing but a retaining wall in the temple courts or, or that, that held up the temple courts. On top of the retaining wall is where the temple courts were and where the, the temple of God used to be. Today there's a mosque there. This is where the Jews pray. This is where their most revered site in Judaism is. It's a wall. It's not even a wall of the temple. It's the wall that supported the outer courts or the the temple courts. If you go to the western wall or the wailing wall, you won't find Jews there buying and selling sacrifices. What you'll find there is worshipers crying out. For the Jewish worshiper, the wall is, is a remnant of the last temple they had. And that's why they go there to pray. Today, the Jews look at the western wall with with regret. They cry out for salvation. They cry out for the Messiah. They cry out for the restoration of the temple. 
Church, let's not find ourselves looking back at our past with regret because of our prayerlessness. Today, in this temple made of the dust of the earth, make this place a temple, a house of prayer. In this temple built my man, let's make this place a house of prayer. If Jesus returned and walked into our lives or into this church, what would he find? Would he celebrate our church as a house of prayer, or would he start turning things upside down? If Jesus walked into your life, would he drive out something out of your life like he did those who, who sold with the temple? Would he drive out things out of your lives? If Jesus walked into this church, would he hear us singing songs, lifting hands, serving in ministry, hearing the word of God? All those are good and all those are needed. But would he hear us engaged in prayer? See, prayer is central to our relationship with God. It is central to our relationship with God. Everyone who identifies as a born-again follower of Jesus, we would say this, I have a personal relationship with Christ, right? Now, isn't this funny? We have a personal relationship with Christ, but we don't talk to him. That's real personal, isn't it? We talk about him, we'll teach about him, but do we talk to him? Do we engage in conversation with him? See, at the core of every healthy relationship is communication. If you're in a marriage and you have poor communication, you are in a dangerous place. I mean, I can't tell you how many times of just sitting down with couples or talking with them, it's always a communication issue. It usually boils down to something. You say, well, they, you know, this or that. I'm telling you, it will always come down to communication. It may manifest differently, but my, nine times out of ten, there's a communication breakdown. If we don't communicate in a relationship, that relationship will never last. Our relationship with Christ is no different. Prayer is the barometer of your relationship with Christ. It doesn't matter how much information you know here, church. Listen to me. This is important. I'm not down, downplaying the importance of God's word. But if all you know is information and it's not, it's not balanced out with prayer, you just got dry, dead bones. You just got religion. Prayer is communication with God. It's talking with God. Prayer is not talking at God. And that's how we handle most of our prayers. We talk at God. Prayer is a two-way form of communication. God speaks, we shut up, and we listen. And it's the same way. God wants a dialogue. He doesn't want a monologue. He wants to, us to speak and him to listen. Prayer is not an endless monologue of what we want and what we need him to do. In a marriage, let's say that's the way we handle a marriage. You're, you're not talking to your spouse. You're talking at your spouse. That will never work. That person will feel disrespected and underappreciated, and quite frankly, they should. If, that's, if this is the sum total of your prayer life, let me describe it. Lord, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. I speak this and I speak that. Come here, go here, do this, do that. And it should all be done because I've asked it in Jesus' name. There's a reason why your prayer life isn't working. Because you're talking at God. If that's the substance of our prayer life, in the ears of God, it's just like money being exchanged in the temple courts. It's just the clanging of business. Humility is, our, is key to our relationship with God. If our prayers are demanding, and we call that bold faith, our prayers, and it's, it's really not bold faith, it's just it's a lack of humility 
it sounds like money being exchanged in the temple. I want to caution you when it comes to prayer. You can come boldly before the Lord. And I understand that, that boldness that you should come before the Lord. But it better be with humility. Let me give you an example. Jesus gave us the perfect example in Scripture. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to this place called Gethsemane. If you want to understand prayer, right here's a good place to study. And said to the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And then he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Pray with me. And he went a little further fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, here it is. Here it is. Not as I will, but as you will. See, Jesus is God in the flesh. Think about what he's saying. Jesus is a co-equal member of the Trinity. He's not telling the father, Hey, you need to do this. We need to bargain. We're equal members here. You're the Father and I'm the Son, but I'm God and you're God, so we need to work this out. It's not how he approaches prayer, is it? Jesus doesn't go to the Father, tell him what he wants and what he needs him to do. Jesus comes before the Father boldly with humility. And what he does, he goes, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, can we do this? But he says this as well, but it's not what I want to do, it's what you want to do. It's up to you. That is humility, church. God himself, God in the flesh, displays for us our, 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 our heart, how it should be when we approach the throne with bold faith. It has to be mixed with humility. If you have no humility, and it's called bold faith, you just have arrogance. And if you know anything about arrogance, it, it's something that God despises. And it's a, there's a reason why our prayers go unanswered. We don't feel like they're being heard. Because it might be that we're approaching the throne with arrogance rather than humility. See, in, in, in the, an American human being here, that's hard for us to understand. Humility is really hard for us. We think we got to have bold faith. We're taught that all the time. Your faith has to be bold and so brash. And the, that, that's not bold faith. Again, that's just arrogant faith. There's a difference between the two. Jesus is God of the flesh, yet he gives us the example of humility. Is that the tone of your bold prayers? God you need to do this. God, I want you to do that. You know, just because there's a promise in God's word doesn't mean that promise will be accomplished in our timing and according to our desires. God is sovereign, and he will fulfill his promises when and where he sees fit. You know why? Because he's God. See, I think we do this. We, we often reduce God down just to a person. But he is a sovereign, almighty God. See, we can't be a church that demands God to do something using his word against him. You know, that's often what happens in church. We try, it's almost like an incantation. Like we're trying to control God to do our bidding. And we take him at his word. We say, you've got to do this. You wrote it in your word, so you've got to do it. That is arrogance. That's not humility. That's not my will, but yours be done. I know this is your promise, God. I see it in your word. If, it can, if you can do it in this situation, please do it. If not, I'm okay with it. That's humility. 
Bold arrogance says, you got to do it. You wrote it in your word, it has to be done. And what you're saying is, I'm God, and I'm going to say, I'm going to use your words against you, and you're going to have to do what you said, my way. It happens all the time in church. It happens all the time in believers' lives. Because we are taught to have this boldness without humility. It's a dangerous place. It's just like money being sold. It's just like, it's just like doves being exchanged in the temple. Jesus gave us the perfect example of how we should pray. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And that can't be word service. You can't just say those words and not mean it. And I, I think a lot of times we can just say, we, we can, like, almost like God doesn't catch it. Remember, God sees beyond our words and he sees our heart. When this has to be the posture of our heart, God, it's not my will, it's your will done. that has to be done. And our hearts have to be okay with it. And that can be difficult. So how do we establish this church as a house of prayer? What did Jesus do when he entered the temple courts? He began what? Driving out the money changers. And he's driving out those who sell and does. And he, he even drives out those who are doing the business, the worshipers there. And likewise, there are some things in our lives that need to be driven out. There are some things in our lives that take place over prayer. Prayer, again, the most important aspect you have with God in your relationship with God. And again, you, you might be able to say, well, I'm, I'm going to debate that with you because the Word of God is important. You know, the early church, and often the church today that is underground, has no Bible. You know, there are, there are Christians throughout this world who don't have a Bible, but they have a thriving relationship with God. You know, in the early days of the church, you, you didn't have a Bible to carry around. I mean, the one scroll of the book itself could be huge. They just didn't carry those around. And think about when they're being persecuted, they're being chased from place to place, cave to cave, town to town. They can't carry those things. So what sustained them? What kept them? Prayer. See, the underground church is a great example. Some of them have a partial Bible or maybe a shared Bible, a Bible that is shared in a community. Some of them have just pages. Many of them just have memorized parts of the Bible. But no matter what takes place in their lives, no matter how they're persecuted, no matter how they're jailed, beaten, whatever, you can't take prayer away from them. You can't take away their communication with God. Because it is so important. It is, it is part of that intimacy that we have with God. Meaningful prayer keeps you connected to God. You may be a person who loves the Bible, reads the Bible, studies the Bible. Please keep on doing that. But if you aren't balanced in that relationship, if it's just all word and no prayer, you are lopsided. In fact, you, you will find this to be true, that you lack intimacy with God. You know all about God, you're comfortable in your faith, but you just don't feel God. You should feel God. You, someone dwells in you, by the way. Someone lives inside of you. You can't feel that? Then you should. You should be able to, I know when I got saved, I know when I was born, I know exactly what it took place. I know something changed. If someone moves inside of you, you should know. That's why this will take place. That sometimes we'll be in worship and we'll sing and it just seems empty and hollow. We think, well, it's the worship team or it's the song or it's the style. No, it's you because you lack intimacy with God. Because you know what? To be honest with you, it shouldn't matter what the song is. It shouldn't matter where you go to worship. You should be able as a Christian to go to a foreign country, don't know the songs, don't know the language, and be able to worship. It has nothing to do with style. It should be that, you know what? I just know God's here. 
And I know God's here because God's people's here. And if God's people's there, God is there. If you're born again, God is there with you. If you're the only person in that place that knows Jesus, you should be able to worship. We, are so, we have Americanized the scripture so much that we're really out of touch. God speaks to us through his word. Thank God for that, amen? But God also speaks to us through his spirit. God quickens us by his spirit. I'm sure every one of you could testify to a time where you didn't have your Bible, but God quickened your spirit. He spoke to you. Don't do this. Don't. Or maybe just a hesitation. You need just hang out here. Something happened. God nudges you. God whispers to your spirit. God speaks to us more than we ever speak to him. The problem is we just don't listen. We aren't listening for him. Listening, by the way, is key to good communication. Amen? We think good communication is be able to talk a lot, talk eloquent, whatever. No, it, it just means you shut up and listen. If you really want to communicate well with someone, just shut up and listen. You'll be amazed what you'll hear. And we should apply that concept to prayer. Revelation 3.20 says this, Here I am, Jesus speaking this, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is speaking, are you listening? Jesus is speaking, but maybe you can't hear him and speak at the same time. Because again, you can't communicate that way. You know, it's just like two couples. They get to arguing. Nothing gets accomplished until one says, I just need to shut up. An argument will only escalate, get louder and louder, and nothing gets accomplished until finally once the person says, this isn't working. So just let them talk. And it's amazing what can take place when somebody just starts to listen. It doesn't mean you agree with it. It doesn't mean they're right. It just means you listen. But yet we have so much pride, we can't even listen sometimes. Jesus is knocking. Are we too busy? He wants to talk with us. But we have business. We can't answer the door. We got business to attend to. Jesus is knocking at the door of this church, but are we too busy to answer and invite him to come in? What God has to say is far more important than what we ever have to say to him. Remember, he understands what we're going through. He understands what's taking place in here. We should really want to know what he is saying. We need to listen more, talk less. Jesus is wanting us to invite him into our lives and have a conversation. Again, we are just too busy with things that don't matter. Prayer, and it is key to your relationship with God. It is a focal point. It will give life to your relationship, but you're not pouring into it. There's a reason why Christianity can feel lifeless. And then think about this. I know it's counterintuitive. We think we have to do something to get things done always. And I just don't have the time. I just don't have, I just don't have time to pray. But if we just open the door, do the courtesy, invite Jesus to come in, we would find this, that those things that need to be taken care of get taken care of. Again, it's counterintuitive. I got something to do. It's got to get done. But if you just spend time with Jesus, it would get done. We would just put aside our busyness for a moment. Spend some time with Jesus. What we thought we could never get done gets done. It's amazing what takes place when you put him first. Prayer isn't about inviting Jesus into our, uh, into our doing so he could bless us so that we could do more. Prayer is about opening the door of our hearts and just be with him. Just be with him. And I'm going to be honest with you, church. I have a hard time with this one personally because I'm a doer. In fact, the next story I'm going to read to you, 
I identify with one of these people and not with the other one. But I have to discipline myself to be like the other. Luke 10, 38. Now it happened. As they went and he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha. Look at this. Look at what Martha does. Martha welcomes him, Jesus, into her house. This is starting off good, isn't it? You welcome Jesus. He's knocking. Come on in, Jesus. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word, heard him talking, having a conversation. She's there at his feet listening to him. Are you following me? But Martha was distracted with much serving. Good things she's doing, right? Martha's doing great things. She's serving. Things got to get done. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? She's lazy. Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. It's one of the few times you find God speaking to women twice. You guys usually get it the first time. It's always usually men. But Martha, Martha, just relax. You are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. This is what you need, Martha. Not, not Mary to help you. And Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. See, this is where many of, of you are in your relationship with Jesus. Like Martha, you answer the door, you let Jesus in, but you're not spending time with him. He's in, but there's no conversation. Martha was busy doing things, ministering. Things need to get done. Family and guests needed to be attended to. And so when you look at it from this perspective, Martha is doing exactly what has been done for centuries in that culture. They're serving. Serving. I, she, she is sitting there just listening. She should get off her butt and help me. Again, we can be busy doing the right things, ministering. And it's important. But Mary chooses to be at the feet of Jesus. Mary wasn't lazy. She's not even unwilling to help. She understands this, that Jesus is present and spending time with Jesus comes first. And that's the lesson, church. Jesus is present. Spend some time with him. If we're going to, to be a house of prayer, a people of prayer, then we have to establish prayer as a daily priority. Number, it has to take place. Bless me in Jesus' name. That, that, if that's the content of your prayer, prayer is not working for you, and you, you're losing intimacy with God, valuable intimacy. The worshipers in the temple courts preparing for the Passover were just so busy with life, so busy that they didn't even, their, their religiosity just got in the way. They didn't even think what they were doing was the wrong thing. They thought it was the right thing. But God was coming there to meet with his people, and they were just oblivious to it, busy doing stuff. Church, God is speaking. Are we listening? I want to challenge you to replace your complaining with prayer. I want to challenge you to establish prayer as the most important practice in your day. Think about it for a moment. Think, think of it from God's perspective. We want God to save us. Yes? We want God to bless us. We want God to help us. We want God to heal us. We want God to forgive us. But we can't take time to have a meaningful conversation with him? Are we no different than the money changers? Have we made this place a den of thieves? 